Well, open your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter number 9. Say, you're going to preach on Acts and Christmas. Well, it's in the Bible, isn't it? I think anything in the Bible is worth going for, don't you? And so I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9, and um, I want to talk to you on the subject of the man who had Christmas one time, one time. If you ever really have Christmas, all you need is one time. You don't need 10, you don't need 20, you don't need to do it every year, you just need it one time. And Acts chapter 9, listen to what the Bible said. And Saul, and of course you know up to this point what a murdering thing he had been, what a, um, he had been trying to destroy every church and every Christian he could. He's breathing out threatenings, slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, and that's what they call the Christians of this way, this way. I'm glad I am of this way because he is the way. Amen. And then he said, whether they were men or women, listen, he didn't care. He didn't distinguish between male or female. He was going after anyone who said that they were a believer. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth. And heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, there's a good that, that, that right there is a good lesson for some of you who's always wondering, I, want I don't know what God wants me to do. Won't you just go and let God tell you? And quit trying to tell him what you want to do. All right? Look, arise, go to the city, it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the man which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Now, they heard a voice, but they didn't know what it said. They just heard a voice, but... They couldn't understand the voice. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, and that would be today we hear a whole lot about Syria, and this is where Damascus was located then and now. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. And there were certain disciples at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. I want to talk to you today on the man who had Christmas one time. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I know today we have millions of things on our minds and uh, people can be easily distracted. I know that uh, it's easy to be distracted just getting up in the morning. Some of these parents probably have been up since daylight. And God, many of them uh, have um, full days ahead of them and hopefully a, a night of worship ahead of them tonight. So God, help us to just uh, get the book out and finish it up and, and uh, be able to get your message clear. Uh, we hope, hope and pray and desire, Holy Spirit, 
that you might speak in this place this morning, today, on Christmas Eve, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a, I preach this message today because there's a whole lot of things about Christmas that has nothing to do with it. In fact, I don't think I have seen anything on any program or any advertisement this year that had one single thing to do with a biblical Christmas. Not one. And yet all of the pagans in our world, all the lost people in our world, and all the saved people in our world pretend to celebrate Christmas. Well, number one, we were never told to celebrate Christmas. We were told to celebrate two things. We were told to celebrate what we just did this morning, a baptism. And we were told, number two, to what we're going to celebrate next Sunday, and that is the Lord's Supper. That's our Christmas dinner. That's it for us. And so today we got things all messed up. You say, why? Well, Christmas, that's where it comes from. Christ Mass, Christ Mass, that's where the word comes from. Christ, meaning that special anointed Messiah which was to come. That's the Christ. We believe that to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Christmas is where that that, that, um, superhero shows up to Paul and says he's Lord, and Paul don't even question it. He knows he's Lord. But Mass has a a problem for us. You see, Mass is a special time for the Catholic Church and uh, some Orthodox churches and other things to do what's called the Eucharist, a special Eucharist, which in time to, in that Mass, they claim in transubstantiation, which means this. means every time they take Mass, and especially when they take this special Mass, that it holds them over. Christ is crucified again for your sins. Folks, that is nowhere in the Bible. In fact, it's totally opposite. That's why we enjoy the Lord's Supper. It's because our sins have been forgiven, not because we have to come back and let Jesus die all over again. Jesus made clear he died once for the sins of many. And so uh, that's why we have a problem with that word mass. Now, it can be used in a, the, a proper way. It could be used in a wrong way. It could, it could be used as a special time where we gather together and we not only think about his virgin birth because you can't have a supernatural life and you can't have a a suffering dead and you can't have a sovereign resurrection unless you have a virgin birth. So they all go together. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just Christmas, but what do we spend most of our year celebrating? What do we spend most of our money celebrating? Something unbiblical. And so I want to say to you, that's why you see all these pagans all excited about mistletoes and trees. Can you see, can can you see the apostle Paul in a one-horse open sleigh? I tell you what, if you've ever been to Israel, you can't see it. 
It, it better be a four-wheel drive sleigh, I'm telling you that. <laughs> Ain't that right, Brother Mike? I mean, it, it, it had to be one of them high-rising dudes where you got an eight-foot ladder just to get on the first step of the truck. There's no sleigh. There's no, they don't, most of the world wouldn't even have a clue what that meant. And that we throw all that stuff in and say, oh, it makes it feel like Christmas. Why does it make it feel like Christmas? has nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. And if you lived in another country or another part of the world, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even understand it. Mistletoe. Find some mistletoe in Iraq. Now, go to Iraq. Let me find some mistletoe. No mistletoe in Iraq. And you mamas and daddies, and I know some of you don't agree with me, and that's, that you, you have your right to be wrong, but the, the truth of the matter is, some of you are lying to your children, and you're going to be sorry for that someday. You need to be telling your children the truth because you tell them to tell the truth and they get a spanking if they don't tell the truth and yet we come along and tell them something that's not true and wait eight or ten late years later and tell them, well, it really, it, it really wasn't true and so they show up at church and so I wonder if this Jesus thing's true. Better be very careful about your Christmas. So as I looked at this, I... I began to think about the time of gift giving and we have that manger scene and it's beautiful, but most of us doesn't have a clue as what the scene really was. I preached on that last year and tried to show you exactly kind of how the scene probably appeared according to the terrain there. You know, some folks got angry about that. I've never heard that. But I'm mad about it. Well, just because you had never heard about it, your ignorance does not mean it's not true. There's some things I never heard about either. And, and, I'm, and when I study, I find that I didn't know that. But my ignorance did not make it true or false. You have to, you have to find out what God has said about it. So since the word and all these pagan meanings are not in the Bible, and our definition of Christ means to be born, to die, to live a sinless life, to die on Calvary's cross, and to rise again, and we have the hope he's coming back. Now, that's our definition of what we believe Jesus came for. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what the Bible says. So let's look at this man who had Christmas one time. Now, first of all, when you see this man, this may be perhaps one of the greatest uh, conversion experiences that we've ever studied or written. It's one that most everyone is it talked about if they've been to church very much, the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And so the first thing I want you to notice about him is he has a story to tell. Look in verse number one. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciple of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Now, some claim a conversion, but a real conversion claims you. 
Do you see the difference? Some says they've been converted, but when you've been converted, it claims you. I mean, it gets all over you. I mean, he went to Christmas one time and never got over it. Never got over it. He never had to hear jingle bells again. I mean, folks, a way in a manger was good enough for him, you know, because he lives was good enough for him. And so there he went to Christmas, and he has a story to tell. Every testimony is different, but this one is told for us three times in the Bible. So it must be very special. Y'all with me? Because it's recaptured in two other places, so it was a very significant conversion, the conversion of the apostle Paul, because he had a tremendous story to tell. Are y'all with me? According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 and 10, he tells us that we, if you want to repent and you really want to be converted, that you turn from and you turn to. In other words, you turn from who and what you are to who and what he wants you to be. That's repentance. If you're not willing to do that, you can't be saved. Oh, you say, I joined the church. That don't get you to heaven. Because I know the preacher. That sure don't get you to heaven. It'll get you some emails. Get you some texts. Get you some letters. Get you some cards. But it, it, it won't get you saved. So this man has a great story to tell because God tells it three times in the Bible. Himself. So every conversion is a miracle of God. Would you agree with that? And so every time Paul got before a crowd of people and they backed him in the corner and said, now what do you say about that? He said, well, I was going down the Damascus Road one day and all of a sudden I seen a light. And he'd start telling his testimony. And people got thrilled to hear what had happened in the Apostle Paul's life. His testimony made sense because they knew who he was before, and now they know who he was after. You know why our testimony don't make sense to this world? Because they knew what we was before, and they knew who we are now. Woo! That's good Christmas preaching, isn't it? So he had a story to tell. You have a story to tell? This shows a murderer who became a minister. This shows a fiery sinner who became a faithful saint. This shows a hater who became holy. This shows a hypocrite who became honorable. This shows a Pharisee who became pure. The man lost his religion to meet Jesus. (laughs) I I I wish everybody could lose their religion. You know, when I got saved, everybody said, he's got religion. I done heard he's done got religion. He don't do this no more, and he won't do this no more, and he won't play on our ball team because the beer distributors sponsor it. And even though we're going to pay him to play, he won't pay for us no more because he got religion. I didn't get religion. I'd had religion a long time. I got something better than religion. I got saved. Now, everybody around me didn't get saved, and things didn't always get better. Hey, my wife wasn't saved. That was obvious. I, uh, all my, my friends wasn't saved. That was obvious. But Jesus saved me, and it was obvious to everybody I worked with. First, they laughed at me. 
And then they said, wait a minute, something's happened to this bird. He won't won't play poker with us no more. He used to cuss louder than all of us. He can't cuss at all now. I heard him start to cuss the other day, and and he he put his hand over his mouth. He won't even cuss. We can't make him cuss. They'd have porn going on in the shop, and they'd say, come here, come on in here. We, we, oh, well, I got something I need to, to talk to you about. And I walk in, they have these big porn shows. I'd just slam the door and leave. So, folks, let me tell you something. We have a story to tell when we get saved. And that story is told a whole lot easier when it's told through a life that's been changed. And so, now, let, let's, look, let's look at this. This man, he lost his memory. He has a story to tell, but he also has some cruelty to stop. Everything about this man speaks of his contempt for the church. He hated the church. Hated it. Hated everybody in it. Hated everything about it. He hated Jesus Christ. He hated the church. And yet, he had been studying the Old Testament Bible all his life. He was a well-known scholar, a well-known rabbi, a well-known religious figure in the Jewish world, and yet he hated the church. He was religious to the gills, but his contempt grew out of his religion. Did you know people will fight for hate much more than they'll fight for love? They will. And so that's what he does. First of all, look at his misconception. He had a religion that was a mistake. He had a story to tell, but but he also, he has a uh, cruelty to stop. And that cruelty involved a misconception. He had a religion that was a mistake. Great zeal in it, but a misconception. It wasn't right. Acts 22.3 said he was educated as extremely in education as they could go in that day. He was, Acts 23.6 said that the Pharisees and the son of a Pharisee, that's who he was. That meant he was steeped in religious tradition. And then in Acts 26, the scripture says he was well known and respected as a Jewish man. I mean, this guy had religion up to here. He had it all, but it was a misconception. You say, why? Because liberalism makes its attack because of ignorant unbelief. Christmas ignorance causes Christmas dummies. And I mean that nicely, as nicely as I can mean anything. It creates, we really need a book called Christmas for Dummies. Because in Paul's case, he knew about everything, but he didn't know about Christmas. He didn't know about Christ. He didn't know about the virgin birth, even though he'd read Isaiah 7, 14. Even though he'd read Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Even though he'd read Isaiah 53, he didn't know. So he had a misconception about it. You see, Christian ignorance comes from being an unbeliever. If you don't believe what this book says, you'll come up with 
crazy ideas. And that's what our world has done. Unbelief not only has hardened our heart, but it's made us ignorant to what things really are. And so look, second thing, he was a murderer. He says it himself, Acts 7, 57. Have you, anybody, have you ever heard anybody say, well, murderers can't go to heaven? Where did you get that? You can get it out of the Bible. David was a murderer and he went to heaven. Paul was a murderer and he went to heaven. Now, I'm not telling you to go shoot somebody. If you do, ask me who it is and I'll tell you if you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> but murder is a sin and he says now he's a murderer because he was murdering Christians. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, he says he is. Acts 22, verse 20, he says he is. Acts chapter 26, verse 10, he says he is. It's pretty sure he is. He's a killer of Christians. Thirdly, his mouth shows his scorn and his cruelty for church. Acts chapter 9, verse number 1, he's breathing out threatenings and slaughter. His mouth, by his own mouth, he was threatening to kill. He was verbalizing his hatred in Christ. And so, as a result, his conversation was consumed by it. See, he didn't have a story to tell. He didn't have a story to tell, but he had a hate to express. Let me, let me just tell you something. Listen, you come up close. Up here, can, can you come up close here? Your contempt cannot be hidden from your tongue. <laughs> Whoever you have contempt for or whatever you have contempt for, it'll come out that tongue. And so Paul even says it's tongue. In fact, you could ask him, tell me how you really feel. And he had told you real quick he hated Christians. Fourthly, his mistreatment. Christians had been driven out of Jerusalem, and, and they had been driven 150 miles north. Saul had heard that there was many believers now up in the northern part of the country, and especially on up into Damascus, uh, and so uh, he was familiar with that area, and so he went, gets permission, he gets the papers to go up and kill as many as he wants to, Christians. And so he goes to kill the Christians up north, in Damascus, 30 or 40 synagogues up there. So he gets religion and legal authority and goes after them. He was to bind them and imprison them, men and women. He didn't have any respect for a woman. He just, it was just men and women. He hate, his hatred was so intense, Acts twenty two nineteen says he beat them. He even resorted to torturing them in Acts 26, 11. Torture. Folks, do you know some of the most awful things has been done in the name of religion that's ever been done in the history of mankind? This man was driven with religious hatred. It burned in him. It burned in him. He has some cruelty to stop if he wants to be a Christian. Mm, he has some cruelty to stop. His goal was to exterminate, verse 1, chapter 9 says. He wanted to exterminate everybody who said they walked in the way of Jesus Christ. Exterminate them. Get them out of the way. Call Cook's Pest Control. Let's get them. See, he, he was determined 
determined to get rid of them. That's why you have church problems. You get somebody who don't have a clue what the Bible says in most places. They know just enough to be ignorant. They know just enough to get them in trouble. They know just enough to run their mouth. They know just enough to gossip about. As a result of it, their ignorance comes through their tongue. As a result of that, there starts to be divisions and there starts to be problems and there starts to be hatred and there starts to be a break in the fellowship. Folks, if we've got a story to tell, we better make sure we've got some cruelty to stop. Okay, look, look, but he has, he, he has something else going on here. He has a gospel that saves. He has a gospel that saves. Look at verses 3 through 7. Notice what the Bible says in verse 3. And he journeyed, came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Suddenly there shined about him a light from heaven. What does Luke chapter 2 say? When the angels came to the shepherds, the Bible said, and suddenly there was a heavenly host singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Suddenly. You see, folks, you don't go to church to say, I'm going to get saved today. No, no. Uh-uh. You don't go to work beside somebody who's a sold-out believer to say, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I, I, that guy's a pretty good guy. I'll be working for them." You don't know they're saved. You don't want to work for him because he's saved. You just happen to be placed there. It's sudden, and stuff starts happening in your life. Suddenly, God shined upon him. You say, well, I don't, you know, there's some, there is a, a group of folks around here that believe that it takes months and years and days and weeks to get saved. You don't get that anywhere in the Bible. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And Jesus told Zacchaeus, today I must abide at thy house. Today, if you wait till tomorrow, you may not can get saved. In fact, you may not even be alive. Tomorrow you may be in hell. But today, thank God you have the grace of God that's given you breath to give your heart to Jesus Christ because you have a gospel that shades. So it was sudden and it was shining. Look, it was sudden and it was shining. The light, this was no ordinary light because it happened at noontime. Now, when you can see a shining light at noontime over there, it's a shining light. Because it's always shining. And, 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 and it, it, it shines from the sun and the rocks. And, and, it, and it's a bright sun. And you can see it. And here it is. It's, it shines at noontime above everything else. But there's this idea that people think, well, I already know all that, preacher. I do the best I can, and so I hope that'll get me to heaven. Now, I want to ask you something. I got a question for you. Are y'all ready for it? I don't care where you are not. Here, I'm going to ask you. How many of you have ever had a day in your life when you did the best you could? Come on, tell me. How many of you have ever had a day in your life where you did the best you could? My wife has told me over and over, I've never had one. (laughs) What about y'all? Uh-huh. Yeah, y'all chicken husbands. Come on, talk to me. 
Yeah, you know what I'm saying. No, no. When is, there has never been a day in your life, think about a life like that. It's impossible for you to say to God, I did the best I can, so I think y'all let me go to heaven. When he says, I did the best I could, I hung my son on a cross for you because I loved you because you never could do the best you could. But I took my best and hung him up for you so you could be saved. We have a gospel that saves. That's what Christmas is all about. There's a shining of that light, and it x-rays our soul, and it shows the, the, it shows the life that we thought was pretty good but be pretty dirty. That's conviction. That's conviction. It was heaven light shining in our star. Shining as a star in our soul. You remember the Bible said the wise men, remember when they came to see Jesus? The Bible said that the wise men came and they said, we saw his star in the east. Now, why did they say that? When they say we saw a star in the east, they didn't say that. They said we saw his star in the east. They saw a star hadn't been there. They saw a star that was new. You know what that star was? The glory of God. The glory of God set there in the skies to lead them there and set down over the top of where the glorious Lamb of God was to be born in a manger. And that's where it was. His star shines into our heart and that old dirt in our life starts to shine and we see, thank God, there's a gospel that'll save. Uh, but look at this. Look, it was singular. Notice he called for him personally. Saul, Saul, don't look at your wife and say, you reckon I'll get saved today? Quit that. Wife, don't look at your husband and say, reckon I'll get saved today? Boyfriend, girlfriend, don't you look? Say, reckon I'll get saved today? No. You say, well, we're smoke pot together. Reckon I'll get saved. You forget that stuff. Give up that pot and give up whoever's smoking it. Say, I want Jesus instead. I get a high from him that it can't give me. Plus, it's a lot cheaper. And when I say that, I'm saying to you, salvation is a personal experience. God calls all of us personally. Nobody could get saved for Glenn Denton, and nobody could get saved for any of you. God calls you. He's calling some of you right now. You say, it's Christmas. I'm not going to get saved. It'll take up probably 10 or, 10 or 15 minutes, and I'll be late for that ham as they got cooked over there. Let it get cold. We got microwaves now. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You'd rather have cold ham as to be in hell hot. Amen? Amen. Let's get her going. And then singular lows. He called him. Personals, but it, look at the struggle. Jesus asked him why he persecuted him. And he said, well, who art thou, Lord? I'm not persecuting you. I'm killing all these churches and all these Christians. I ain't done anything to you. But notice what he calls him, Lord. Why did he call him Lord? Because he so much knew the Old Testament that the moment that happened, he knew it had to be the Lord. Those scriptures lit up in his mind. Shine brightly, and he saw them. 
So I'm telling you, those Old Testament things that some people take so lightly, one of these days, God will open up and show you something blessed out of that Old Testament and teach you a lesson that God wants you to see. And so, why do you persecute me? Oh, I don't persecute you. I'm persecuting the church. Oh, Jesus said, if you persecute them, you persecute me. Why? Because who's the head of the church? Who? At last I checked, is Jesus. Obviously, only two-thirds of you know that. Jesus is the head of the church. What's the church called? A body. A body. So if Jesus is the head, but also what else is the church called? A bride. So when you're hurting the body, that's you. That's you. Believe it or not, it's me. Even though some folks don't think I'm going, I'm going. In fact, I'm going to beat some of you there. I'm going to look back and say, yeah, I told you. <laughs> the thing about it is, is we need to understand. We need to understand that whatever we do to the church to hurt it, whatever we do to the preacher to hurt him, whatever we do to the Bible to hurt it, whatever we do to the Christians to hurt them, we hurt Jesus. It's hard to kick against the pricks. He said they had a they had a yoke down here that hung. And it was about that far. If they if they plowed like they should and worked like they should, it never touched them. But when they got to kicking, got to got to acting up, they would kick against that goad. And that goad had sharp sticks in it. And whenever they kicked, that sharp stick would prick them. And say on Sunday morning, that's why sometimes it's cold in here because you're kicking. And while you're kicking, he's pricking. And you walk out of here bleeding all over if we could see it spiritually. You got blood running all over you spiritually because you kicked against the pricks. God touched your heart. He wanted to save you. He loved you. He said, I came, died for you. I came out of my place in glory. And I was born an insignificant little baby in Bethlehem. And I went to Egypt for two years, and then I went to Nazareth, and I served in a little insignificant nothing town in Egypt as a carpenter's son. And then at 30 years of age, I stepped out, and John the Baptist said about me, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And I I lived my whole life a sinless life. And they took me and said, I find no fault in him, but we're going to kill him anyway. And they nailed me to a cross. But three days later, they looked up, and I was gone. I was gone. He said, they put me in the womb so they could take me out of the tomb. So today, I want you to know that he had a story to tell. So do you. Are you telling it? He has a cruelty to stop. So do you. So do you. Last of all, you have a gospel that saves. 
So if we have a gospel that saves, we ought to have a gospel that spreads. Why in the world would we want to hide what changed our life from the people we love?